So you, Ollie, you said to me right before we started recording that you've written a rap no, I about no. this movie. Why don't no, you give us some of your rap? No, I suggested that that's what you'd do for a future future. Well, episode. I think and now would be a good time for us to hear a little <laughs> bit of this rap about Pacific Rim. My name's Pacific Rim. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> come on. What has the show come to? Uh, no, we will never, ever do a rap about the show. Yes. Uh, so this rap. How long did you work on it? Zero uh, percent. <laughs> it's not a measure of length or time. <laughs> Anyways. I'm Phil. And I'm Ollie. And it's, it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time. It's Del Toro time. And we are back with a movie about monsters monsters and robots robots monsters and robots it's 2013's pacific, pacific rim. rim and this is our second attempt this is our second attempt at it we did another episode a few weeks ago that was full of coughing and leth- lethargy <laughs> <laughs> it was not uh, i listened back to it and i was like wow we both sound like we hate movies <laughs> and uh that don't don't sue us don't not sue us any other podcast that might remind you of uh no we sounded like we were just not into anything and so i was like you know what let's just i feel like this movie deserved deserves better mm-hmm. i felt like it deserved better at the like box office i felt like it deserved better just in pop culture it just deserves better it deserves better it's a, Grimm. it's a movie about giant robots and monsters it, like w- how could you not like it? But it's a movie about so much more than that. It's about like facing your fears and and coming back to things that you that you like yeah, scared you off once upon a time and like finding out who you are again and like what you have to offer and and reading people's minds. And reading people's minds and drifting with your friends. Drifting through those streets on Drift- your rollerblades. <laughs> on your rollerblades, on your razor scooter, <laughs> on your Heelys. <laughs> There's no Heelys in this movie. Although, if one of the robots had Heelys, that would be amazing. We, you know who would have Heelys in this movie? Who? Charlie Day. Charlie Day needed Heelys. Yes. Pacific Rim 2. Give Charlie Day Heelys. <laughs> Charlie Day Heelys. I don't think it's a good subtitle for a movie. It's a demand. <laughs> like by the time the movie came out, they would have had to have either given him Heelys or not. Charlie Day gets Heelys. Maybe if there was a Pacific Rim Saturday morning TV show, there would be an episode where he gets Heelys. It would be kaiju themed Heelys. He's a he's a kaiju groupie. He'd be like, ah, look at these Heelys I got, and then he'd like crash into Vern Gorman, and Vern Gorman would be like, Charlie Day, <laughs> and we'd all laugh. That'd be the end of the episode. Like, I, I'd watch it. But five minutes short. Um, so 2013. Now, 2013. It's been a five years since it has we've not seen been a movie. five years. No, no, no. Between the last movie we covered and this movie, oh, okay. it's a five year gap. It's been five years since we've talked about this movie. No, it, I, I thought you said it's been five years since the movie came out. Oh, no, no, no. It's, so between uh, Del Toro's last movie, Hellboy 2, mm-hmm. and Pacific Rim, there's this five year gap, which is a long time for a filmmaker. What was going on in that five year gap? He was working on his baby. Which which baby? His his mountains of madness. Well, baby. before that, he was working on someone else's baby. Oh, the Hobbit. The Hobbit. Yeah. So this was like a weird, not weird. This was like a massive like work period for him. He was working yeah. on two major motion pictures that 
Never happened. Well, The Hobbit happened. happened, We don't talk about it. We don't talk about The Hobbit. Yeah, he worked on the two-part The Hobbit movie for several years. Like it was, it was three parts. It was originally two parts. His version of the movie was a two-parter, and uh, probably would have been much better that way. It was also going to be very Del Toro-y. Like he had designs, he had concepts, and he he wasn't doing this like. He was working with the Peter Jackson and the original mm-hmm. gang like to make it work with the original movies, but it was also going to be very much his vision because, as we know, The Hobbit is a very different story from The Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a it's a far more... I, want, I don't want to say it's whimsical because it is it is still Tolkien, like it's, but it's it's based more in like old fairy tale yeah. feel. And there's like a point like halfway through where it sort of transitions into... Which would have been interesting to see visually. Yeah, I I, I, I would just I, I still want to see Del Toro's The Hobbit, like and just see how he worked with actors and would Ron Perlman have been in it? And we, Ron Perlman would have played the main orc. <laughs> would Doug Jones have been in it? You know who they should have had in The Hobbit? Who? Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil. We will never have Tom Bombadil in anything. Tom Bombadil is my favorite. Yeah, but you know he's kind of like. He, the plot kind of stops with old Tom Bombadil. Hey, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Tom Bombadillo. <laughs> anyway, so he did not do The Hobbit. Uh, it was taking too long. There was so much just mess behind the scenes, and he sadly walked away from it. Uh, and then, so he's like, great, I'll just do my At the Mountains of Madness adaptation, which I've been wanting to do for so long. And we were all like, hooray, like at least we'll get to see this amazing, finally get a big budget adaptation of an hb lovecraft story that will just terrify us it's going to be r-rated it's going to have it was going to have tom cruise in it which wasn't my favorite thing in the world because as we've just seen this week tom cruise in a monster movie isn't always the hey i want to see that movie isn't always the box office gold people seem to think it is but he worked his bum off on at the mountains of madness his passion project and then it was canceled because a little movie called prometheus came out which basically had the same story and everyone everyone was just like yeah we can't do at the mountains of madness now because as much as that universe makes me happy i still want at the mountains of madness well and it's very different it's I mean, but it's the same basic plot. And I could see where studios would just be like, we've already, you know, like we have a big budget movie that told the same story about how like ancient aliens created human beings and yada, yada, yada. But man, I just, I pine for Del Toro's at the Mountains of Madness. Still. We got to see some pretty cool penguins. (laughs) That's true. We got to see some penguin ideas. Um, So he had to walk away from that. He entered uh, a, just kind of a major funk after that. But that funk so he found out that Mountains wasn't happening on a Friday. And on a Monday, he signed on to do Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. And he had said he would only do Pacific Rim if for some reason he couldn't do it at the Mountains of Madness. And it just fell into his lap. Now, Pacific Rim was not conceived by uh, Del Toro. No. It was written by Travis Beecham and conceived by Travis Beecham um, when he was walking down the beach. <laughs> Man. Beecham. Sorry, oh, yeah. it's not a joke. It's not really a joke. Um, when he was walking we, down the beach. We got caught up on that last, last time, time we tried we to do this. <laughs> uh, so Travis Beecham was walking down the beach and he just imagined what would happen if he saw a giant robot fighting a giant monster. And that sort of like spurned the idea. But, well, we'll get into the plot in one second. But the plot of the movie involves a man returning after five years to something that seemed overwhelming and insurmountable. And yep. Del Toro has gone on record as saying like, 
his being away from film, like the actual like art, like making a movie, like not just the creation of a film, but like the the filming of a movie uh, for five years really informed his direction in this movie because it was about a guy returning after five years something he didn't think he could do again yeah and i mean it seems to, i mean five years at my age doesn't seem like a whole lot but when you're doing something as overwhelming as filmmaking which has as many moving parts i can see where if you're gone for half a decade coming back just being like i don't even know if i have this in my blood anymore um well i'm happy to say he has it in his blood anymore <laughs> he had his blood anymore um, Were you waiting for me to say I was that? I waiting for you to say something. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd be like, yeah, it is. But, but you didn't. You just stared at me with a funny, funny look on your face. <laughs> well, let's whip through this plot because the plot is kind of... Ba- the plot is, isn't that complex. It's kind mm-hmm. of bare bones. And it's more about what's happening on top of the plot with the characters and the themes and ideas that, that really makes this movie tick. So let's talk about... Let's just let's rattle through this plot really quick. Let's uh, wrap through this plot. What's happening on the planet Earth that sort of starts this whole story? Basically, under the ocean, a breach opens and these giant monsters come, well, this giant monster comes out and Earth is like, what the heck is this? What do we do? Help. (laughs) And uh, they call them kaiju because that's the term they use. Uh, Kaiju movies are... Uh, like Godzilla. Like the Godzilla movies, the Mothra Mothra. movies. Yep. Gamera. And you and I have a history of that. Yep. When you were little, I made you watch a bunch of the old Godzilla movies. You didn't make me. I enjoyed them. Well, see, that was what I was going to ask you. Like, do... You were so young, like, if I sat you down to show you something, you would just watch it. Like, did you enjoy those? Like, did you... I made, like, the first joke of my childhood while That's I was true. watching them. true. You did make them. the first MST3KS riff during one of the Godzilla movies. I can't remember which one it was. What did I say again? You, it was, at the very beginning, I can't remember which Godzilla movie it was. It starts off, I'm sure list, anyone listening will know will immediately know which one this is, but one of the guys is a pilot, he's flying, and he's talking to his girlfriend, who's down mm-hmm. on the ground, uh, and she's, t- they're just sort of like flirty talking back and forth and she's like like you got to come down soon i we have to go to that dance tonight and then he says like i can't wait to make it to that dance tonight and then you said i don't, I don't think they're gonna make it to that dance tonight yeah and i was like that's your first riff that was your first riff because we had watched enough godzilla movies by that point that you could recognize oh here's the hero here's the girlfriend here's what's going to happen like, you know that they're going to get separated by the monsters it's also the first subtitled thing i watched <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I started you off subtitles with the Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Those are good movies to start off with. Yeah. Um, but they also bring up the whole interesting idea that kaiju movies, monster movies, are always about the people. Uh-huh. Like people complain, like in modern Godzilla movies, they're like, "Oh, there's not enough of the monster." And I'm like, sometimes there is, but those movies were never about just the monster. It's about how the people interact with the monster. Right. Right. There's always your scientist and your hero and your love interest. Like they're always there. Like mm-hmm. it's nothing new. And a boy, there's no, nothing. There's, there's, they do it in this one. <laughs> you you can't repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> they sure do have people. There's people in this movie. Um, so to fight the to fight the kaiju, the nations of the world invent these giant mech robots that they call Jaegers. Jaegers. <laughs> <laughs> they call them Jaegers, and that's their little like term that they use and it, it immediately it's branded like there's kaiju there's jaegers and we fight them off yep we get rid of them we win and the end the of the end. movie and it's wonderful and the movie's five minutes long <laughs> um no because and then what happens is we stop taking the kaiju seriously yeah we make shoes shoes of them and dolls and there's like people fun funny costumes on the, on the tv as them like it just becomes a thing on that the happened. tv Yep, it becomes this thing that happened, and mm-hmm. we move on. But then the kaiju return, the breach reopens, the kaiju return, and they are just bigger and, and stronger and stronger. And that's when we start getting 
torn to pieces by them. And so the, our main character, our hero, Riley, Riley. Uh, played Riley. by played by Charlie Hunnaman. Hunnaman. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Charlie Hunnaman. No, like I know what his name is. I do not know like Hunnaman. Hunnanum. Hummanan. Anomaly. Humanum. Charlie Riley. He plays Riley. Charlie. There's, there's two Charlies in this movie. There's Charlie Hummanan and there's Charlie Day. <laughs> and I know how to say Charlie Day. So Charlie Hummanan plays Riley. And he's our main character. Mm-hmm. How do you pilot these things? So you get in there with another person because uh, they found out that the human mind couldn't handle the pressures of piloting a Jaeger on its own and the person would end up dying. Um, basically, only certain people are compatible with each other and what they do is called drifting. Now, Riley has a brother who he drifts with to pilot the Jaeger. And drifting is where your minds meld and become one singular mind, pretty much. So you know everything about the other person, and the other person knows everything about you. And this is necessary because, like you said, like there's they don't really explain the science of it, but you are you are connected to this Jaeger just completely. Like mm-hmm. you are, it, it, you feel what it what it feels when it gets hit you feel like you're getting hit when it gets shot at you feel like you're burning which is weird to me because that seems like counterintuitive how do you mean because like a human can only handle so much pain yeah and once you're in pain in pain you go into like shock (laughs) right i I think that's kind of the 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 devil's like deal though the devil's bargain they make because like they, they, they sort of make the point later on, which is that you are like drifting is it's a feedback loop. Like it's magic in order to well, in order to make it work like you have to. It's a give and take. Like, yeah. so I think that's part of the, the downside is like, yeah, like we can power these giant robots, but we also have to suffer with the giant robot suffer. But I think that gives you an additional motivation not to get your robot hurt. That's true. <laughs> well, their robot does get hurt during one of the fights really badly. Yeah. And Charlie's not Charlie's uh, Riley's brother dies yeah and unfortunately when you're drifting with someone and they die you feel them die like you experience their death firsthand which is kind of i'm glad they didn't play more into that yeah it's kind of yeah because like they could have gotten so religious with that and i'm really glad they didn't yeah they, they do and uh but i think that's when we're little that's one of your little tips to the of the hat to to uh japanese animation uh like their mech adventures like neon genesis neon genesis evangelion which is very religious and when you start dealing with like the human mind connecting to a robot connecting to other human minds you cannot you have to sort of acknowledge the fact that like the the notion of a soul the notion of the notion of another side because you start getting pretty metaphysical there like what is the mind like what is the personality then like who are we if we can if we are capable of melding our minds together like where do I begin and you end? They don't. They don't get too far into that in the movie. Which but. is again, I'm glad. I mean, they could have. They could have gone off in a. They Th- could have, that could have been the entire movie. Yeah, they could have totally gynaxed the ending and had us just have go to a, heaven. Yeah, they could have just 2001 dust and just a bunch of colors and then that's it. Yeah, they should have gone to heaven in the end. <laughs> that would have been a great ending. <laughs> like just like a big cartoon like gate and there's like Saint Peter like welcome to heaven. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. That would have been. Weird in a way. Um, wow, we are five seconds into this movie. Uh, I was like, let's let's speed through this plot really quick just to get to the... And man, we were just like... So, his brother gets killed. His brother gets killed. And he pilots the, the Jaeger back ki- to shore. Well, he kills the kaiju first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, with a hand cannon. Oh, boy, that hand cannon. He has a hand cannon. And uh, 
uh, cut to five years later, the kaiju are they're still a coming. Yeah. And but we've lost faith in the Jaeger program. Mm -hmm. uh, the governments of the world have, and they're shutting it down. And they have informed our friend Idris Elba playing. Stacker Pentecost. Stacker Pentecost. Uh, that they're shutting down the entire program. But and he's, he's like, you're dumb. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, no. We're building a giant wall to keep them away from our countries. Logic check. Yes. <laughs> so the Jaegers are made out of this obviously very strong metal. Yes. And the kaiju can rip right through that, as we have seen in the mm -hmm. beginning of this movie. And the government decides... You know what would work better than some of our strongest metal suits? A giant concrete wall. Yes. Like, it makes sense, I guess, to build a wall like that if you're also using the Jaegers. Because yeah. obviously the Jaegers can't be defeated. But if you had a wall and your Jaegers, then you're like, at least you'll have something to hold back the kaiju while the Jaegers get there. Yeah. But instead, they're like, we're just scrapping the Jaeger program. And it does look like it'd be expensive. Well, yeah, but like... So is building a wall. <laughs> I, I feel like building a wall would be more expensive. Yeah, because you have to employ like tens of thousands of people and to build. And you're building it all across... The world. The world. Yeah, like, like every single shore. <laughs> it does seem kind of stupid now that it's you dumb. really point it out. But in any case, like that's... It's to, it's to I think, you know, it's it's, it's obviously stupid, but it's to represent like the, the hubris of... Of the governments, like and of that, mankind, yeah. So Stacker Pentecost ain't having it. He he secretly reassembles all the surviving Jaegers, and he goes five. It's five years later, and he goes to re-recruit Riley because he was one of the best pilots. Yeah, back into the Jaeger program. At, before that, though, the wall gets destroyed. Right, we see the wall like actually like get destroyed. What a portion of it get destroyed by a kaiju. Like so, we know that it's it ain't it ain't hanging together. And and Riley's been working on the wall in Alaska, so. Stacker Pentecost comes and recruits him. There's some back and forth, and he says, sure, I'll come back. Yeah. Um, and so we get flown to Hong Kong mm -hmm. to the secret base of the of the secret. Is it secret? Like I don't think it's secret. I think the government just doesn't care at this point. Right. Like, I guess if you're paying for it, have fun with your giant robots. Um, where he meets Mako Mori. The best character. The best character. She is amazing. She is. She gets an entrance straight out of an anime. An anime. Nineteen eighties anime. She just strides across this landing platform with her giant black umbrella and her black coat and her purple tipped. It's blue. Anime hair or blue blue tipped anime hair that's just picture perfect. She is a. She is an anime. Yes, <laughs> she is an anime and uh, Aunt May, Spider Man. I'm leaving. <laughs> She's Aunt May. She's the Aunt May of the movie. All she does is worry. Oh. And he has to keep a secret that he is secretly Jaeger man. Goodbye. <laughs> so um uh so he meets Mako Mori. She's the director of the Jaeger Restoration Program. Uh, and she has a weird little relationship with Stacker Pentecost. We don't know what it is. He seems very protective of her. So how many Jaegers are still surviving? Four. Four. And they are. China. There are the China one, which is called... There are the China one. There are the China one, which is called Crimson Typhoon. There is... Russia. Russia, which is called Cherno Alpha. There is... Australia. Which is called... Striker Eureka. Eureka. Just like Australia. Hi. Good day. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is, of course, the American one that they have rebuilt, which is called Gypsy Danger. Um, just a note, the Chinese one is run by... Triplets. Triplets, who are in triplets in real life, and it has... Three arms. And then there's the Russian one, which is run by... <laughs> 
piloted by a husband and wife team. Yeah. Who look like cartoon characters. They are amazing. Like I want them to be my best friends. They are these giant humans with like tall white hair and they are brilliant. And their their Jaeger looks like uh I mean it they're, they're, everything is coded here, so you can instantly recognize, oh, this is the Jaeger that belongs to China. This is the Jaeger that belongs to Russia. Of course, the Russian one looks like it was created in like a factory like in the 1950s. It's giant. It's steel. It's got rivets all over it. Uh, the Australian one is designed to look more like a barroom brawler. Mm-hmm. Like It's sort of like, ah. And uh, then Gypsy Danger looks like a football player. <laughs> Like an American football player. Um, Has the numbers and everything. Oh, and the Australian one is piloted by a father and son team. Yeah. Who are Australian, quote unquote, Australian. They're not actually Australian. They're not actually Australian. The American isn't actually American. (laughs) Right. The American's not American. The Australian's not Australian. Guillermo del Toro, I don't know if he did it on purpose, but the accents are all over the place. There are times times when Riley starts yelling and I'm like, you're not American. That's a, that's a. That's from across the pond. That accent, whatever. Where slipping is he out. from? Um, I think I thought he was British. I thought he was a British actor, Charlie Hunnam. What if he's Australian? He could be. It's a switcheroo. <laughs> Maybe like they got cast in the opposite roles, but they didn't. Like they were given the wrong scripts. <laughs> they were like, just go with it. Just go with it. Um, so we've got this like this like this conglomeration of characters. They're kind of cartoony and they're kind of fun. But then we meet the ultimate cartoony characters, Charlie Day and. and- Burn Gorman. Charlie Day, of course, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Burn Gorman, we know him from... Torchwood. Torchwood. You recognize him from Torchwood, from many other... He, he pops up all over British television. And they are the scientists, the crazy mad scientists. Charlie Day is like your American... Uh, he's tattooed with like kaiju all over him. He's a kaiju groupie, and Burn Gorman is like your typical Tweety British. Like, uh, he walks with a cane, and he has a slight limp, and he's very like fastidious. And, and they're in love. And they are totally in love. Like, this is like... <laughs> The ship. What? The OTP. The relationship goals. <laughs> <laughs> I have told you a million times. I do not stand for that Tumblr talk. <laughs> I don't my, even have a Tumblr in my living room. No Tumblr talk. About no, yeah, like you don't even. You don't, I would say you do not even have to ship these characters. The movie ships them for you. It's just like these two guys. They they hate each other, but in that way that you're like, oh, they are totally into each other. Um. They're adorable together. Uh, Charlie Day is Charlie Day's manic and all over the place, and Vern Gorman is funny in his own right, like because he's so uptight. But they have discovered that. So Vern Gorman has discovered. So Vern Gorman like does like the mathematics and stuff, and Charlie Day is more to the uh, biology. Yeah, like he loves to goop his hands up with kaiju parts, goop them up, <laughs> goop it all up. In the Charlie I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and but they've discovered that the the kaiju are coming out like faster now like there's more and more coming out of the breach they're getting stronger and pretty soon two are going to come out yeah and then three and then four and eventually ten hundred yeah we won't be able to fight them anymore and we'll be doomed uh so the plan is to drop a nuke drop a nuke into the like breach the breach because they can they think they can figure out when it's going to open again right because they've tried to do stuff like this before but it's always been closed and it's just like fighting a wall like there's just nothing they can do so they're going to drop a nuclear bomb into the breach when it opens and blow up the the link basically they won't destroy the wherever they're coming from but they'll destroy their bridge to our world but it's Um, a nuke yeah they would destroy wherever they're coming from well it's a big place if you dropped a nuke in our sky you wouldn't destroy the world you just contaminate the world right below it dropped a nuke in our sky our nukes would go off we have literally blown we have literally set nukes off in the sky (laughs) 
this is dumb. Why do we do this? <laughs> that's how you blow up. That's how they used to always test nukes. Is that's they would dumb. put them way up on the top of a tower and blow them up. Dumb. Then they started doing it underground. Dumb. <laughs> yeah, we don't do a whole lot of that anymore. Um, oh, yeah, as far as we know, I mean, we could. This that storm we just went through could have just been a bunch of nuke testing, for all I know. Um, I mean, we, it wasn't. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so Riley is brought into this place, and he, of course, needs to find a new partner partner to fly with and so they go through a little like tryouts which is basically just they're fighting with bow staffs um just bow staff fighting just that's i mean i assume that like there's a we don't really understand like how this is your big test for drift compatibility i figure i figure it's because they have to be able to know when the other what the other person's going to do when to do it and they can block Mm -hmm. but they don't want them to get like so injured beforehand so they use bow staffs yeah, I guess like it would make more sense if like they were fighting each other and then all of a sudden they were just doing the same moves at the same time and they were like, oh, this is, we're not fighting anymore. And then they were like, they're perfect. They're perfect. Or maybe they played the mirror game. Just like the mirror game. Like maybe they did that. I mean, it's a cool scene. That it's... would be my trial run. <laughs> Do the mirror game, game. with me. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. You can't see us, but we're doing the mirror game. Except we're not actually doing the mirror game. Like now we're doing the mirror game. And... Uh, drift compatible, um, but it's a cool scene. Yeah, it is. But, but so he's like defeating all these guys, and Mako Mori is like watching him and like taking little notes, and he's like, "Why aren't you fighting? Like, why aren't you trying out? Like, you're an expert with these things." And so she does. She mm-hmm. fights him, and they end in a draw. They end in a draw because they Either are. That awesome. or she beats him. I can't remember which. Well, they're awesome together. Is yeah. like the long and short of it. He's like, "Oh, I want her," and Idris Elba's like, "Nope." You mean Stacker Pentecost? Stack of Pentecost. And he's like, no, you cannot. You'll never pilot one of these things. And again, the audience is like, why is she not allowed to do anything? Because uh, we're not really given any more hints into like what this weird thing going on is. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, That's over. And then the next day. What happens? She pilots one of those things. Well, she doesn't pilot one of those things. She does a test run with one of those things. Right. So uh, Riley is in the seat. Like, it's this weird thing where like, I guess they were just like, all right, we're going to. Fire up your your Jaeger, Riley. Go lock yourself in. We'll surprise you with your test pilot or your your co-pilot. Like they don't tell him. He's just like plugging himself in, and then all of a sudden, like she just walks up. Yeah. In her little co- in her little. And outfit. he like does his like cocky side grin. Yeah, because like she's perfect, and so they start going on a test run, and they she's never drifted before uh, with another person, so they plug in and they start like going through the diagnostics and checking out like making the robot move and things are going great and then all of a sudden she gets stuck yeah what happened like did this is there a term for it where they there is it's like i can't remember what it is but basically it's getting lost in a memory yeah you because when you're when you're drifting like it's sort of like replaying like a lot of your memories and if you get into a bad one which is i guess it's that they're it's very much about like the movie is very much about like your like people's pasts and mm-hmm. overcoming like trauma from the past like all these characters have trauma that they're that they're trying to work past yeah. and this is a very like cinematic representation of uh like a ptsd like yeah. getting stuck in a uh in a loop getting stuck in a memory and uh getting lost in it and should she get stuck in this memory of when she was a wee child like five i would say like four or five yeah she's very small and there was an attack on um where she lived yeah i want to say it was the attack on tokyo uh 
let me just double check. I want to make yes, uh, she because she's from she was from Tokyo. It was a, it was a kaiju attack on Tokyo. She mm-hmm. was little. She was all of her family was killed, and you see her wandering through this like blasted landscape of city, holding a little red shoe, mm-hmm. which becomes like a symbolic thing throughout the movie, and um, just wailing and crying. And as a father, it makes my heart break every time I see it. Like just thinking about one of my children like just being lost and crying, and that just breaks my heart. Let's let's be honest. It would be Mitzi. <laughs> I wouldn't be crying. I would be hiding <laughs> or dead. Mitzi would be fighting one of the. <laughs> That's true. One of the kaiju. <laughs> like she just. In any case, like, there's a little girl and she's crying and she's covered in soot and it's. Uh, she's being basically pursued through the city by this kaiju, this it's monster, huge. this enormous monster that's tearing up Tokyo, and uh, she ducks into an alley. I'm not gonna lie though; it looks like something out of a medieval painting. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. It looks wonderful, and she backs into an alley. The thing sees her and starts coming after her and she holds up her hand to like we you, like hold it off and mm-hmm. riley is in the memory with her like he's witnessing all this happen because and he's trying to get her out of the memory right because he's like you're getting stuck you're getting stuck this isn't happening this isn't real it's just a memory but she's holding up her hand to like ward off the the monster and unfortunately she's still connected to the jaeger again <laughs> logic check why the heck can one person set off a nuclear cannon why is that a thing that they can do why? There's two people in there for a reason. Make it so both of them have to do this to set up this giant nuke. Well, that's not the that's not the major question that we had watching it. It was, why are the weapons activated during this test run in the first place when they're still in the hangar? Um, my only no prize answer to this is that she, because she is the Jaeger expert, because she's the one who like... Uh, like restores the Jaegers. She knows all about their like inner workings. Uh, she's redesigned parts of the Jaegers. I assume that because of that, she is privy. Like her mind is more in tune with like the way they activate their weapons and things like that. So maybe no one else could do that, but she could. Like maybe yeah. she's just more like in tune with that part of the robots. It's a no prize answer. Uh, I'll get an empty envelope in the mail from marvel saying congratulations on answering this stupid question but uh but it is it's true like suddenly like she's holding up her hand in the memory so the jaeger holds up its hand pointing straight at the control center and she's gonna blow everybody away because the weapon powers up and he's trying to talk her down now this reminds me that there's a character we haven't discussed yet who is a brilliant character who I love to death, even though he has very few lines and is in not a whole lot of the movie. He's played by Clifton Collins Jr. His name is Tendo Choi, and he is the like technician. He basically sits at the computer the whole time and watches the screen and mm-hmm. like tells what's going on with the Jaegers and the Kaiju. But his costume is the most dapper outfit i've ever seen in my life i want to be him because <laughs> he is so cool looking he's got this haircut and this suit and i just want to be him or like at least sit next to him at a party he doesn't do much though he's pretty great when he does stuff he, yeah he's totally into this character and i love him and i want to like hang out with him uh for forever <laughs> i want to die with him i want to die in his arms you want to go to heaven with him i want to go to heaven with him at the end of pacific rim too. <laughs>
um no so uh but they managed to do they manage to talk her no they don't manage to talk her down they <laughs> unplug the machine they literally unplug the machine there's a giant power plug and they just like do and all the anger i can't tell if that was just like a comedic thing or what it's somewhat brilliant but i guess if you have to have like a kill switch there's no better kill switch like you may as well make it analog like it's just this thing unplug the computer at least they can't trip over it and unplug it. Right. <laughs> that would suck in the middle of a fight. Also, we should note that the Gypsy Danger, their 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 Jaeger is uh, nuclear powered. Yeah. It's, it's it's not like the newer Jaegers, which are right. all uh, electric powered or something. It's uh, well, all the Jaegers are slightly different. Like, I assume that like the Russian one is steam powered or like. It's got like a little man like shoveling coal into it somewhere. Um, but this comes into play later on. Uh, so obviously she's unfit for piloting, we think. Like she flips out. That's what happens when you put two people who have really bad PTSD <laughs> in the Jaeger together. In the Jaeger, yeah. Um, not that there's anything wrong with having PTSD. Oh, uh, trust me. I would know. You should, you know, you can pilot as many robots as you want. Um, but he sees something. Riley sees something in her memory that answers a lot of questions for him and for us which is when she was being when she was about to be killed by this monster when she was a little girl something saved her and it was a jaeger and that jaeger was piloted by i can't remember his name <laughs> stacker pentecost stacker pentecost. idris elba saved her life when she was a little girl and had lost her family and he basically like adopted her like she became like his ward or he raised her like he helped raise her yeah um, they oh, don't rewind a little bit yeah because we have to talk about drifting with kaiju well that was gonna get to that i wanted to cover like this like sort of chunk of the storyline yeah. because this we've covered two there but there's other stuff going on in the movie why don't you tell us about drifting with kaiju what's that all about <laughs> charlie day mm -hmm. our favorite character wants to drift with a kaiju how come uh, to figure out what's th what they're thinking and what's going on there. Yeah. It's a point of contention between him and Burn Gorman. Yeah. Burn Gorman is like, no. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. Why would you ever want to do that? And they don't have a brain. Yeah. That we I, know of. Yeah, well, they have part of a brain. And I guess the kaiju have two brains. There's like a forebrain and a hindbrain because mm -hmm. they're so big. Um, but yeah, he wants to drift because he's like, I think there's more going on. So you have this whole thing where Burn Gorman is like, we can figure out their behavior and everything. They're just animals. We can figure out what's going on using our like mathematic projections. And he's like, no, these are these things are thinking about something, and I want to know what their plans are. So biology versus mathematics. Yeah, and it's it's their it's you know their little like uh, philosophic conflict and it's you know and it works like it's 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 nicely it's nicely painted so he sneaks into the lab or he's in the lab and he has this little piece of brain or it's a big piece of brain but it's a little piece of brain and he plugs himself into it and what happens well he nearly dies mm -hmm. but he finds out what's going on yeah he gets a lot of answers and what does he discover uh the kaiju are genetically grown creatures like everybody else yeah well they are uh they're like uh they're genetically engineered yeah by like someone else yeah and being sent through the breach to destroy our world yeah to like farm our world to like kill everyone and so they can take over and destroy it and then move on yeah you look confused i'm trying to remember if it was this movie or something else that i was watching you're thinking of independence day 
No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, where they're talking about how with all of the like CO2 we've been pumping into the air, we made the planet perfect. That's this one. That's okay. this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they, they, they showed up in the time of the dinosaurs and were like, nope. That's what the dinosaurs were. Yeah. And uh, that, but now we've, we've ruined our atmosphere enough that it's perfect for them. Uh, environmental message. Environmental message. So, uh, so now they know that there's like, there's more going on with these creatures. So they don't have a whole kaiju brain, but Stacker Pentecost knows where they can maybe get a whole kaiju brain. And so they send, he sends Charlie Day on a little mission uh, with like a little like secret membership card to Hong Kong to this district called the Bone Town. Bone Town, which is a little city built within. The skeleton of a fallen kaiju. Yeah. And that's a, like the black market where people like scavenge kaiju parts and sell them for like potions and healing things. It's the little troll market of this movie. It's a very little troll market. It's, it's a wonderful little scene. Mm-hmm. Um, like just the set for the for Bone Town is, is delightful. You see this giant rib cage kind of in the background. Uh, again, to me, it's a very anime set. It's yes. like something you would see in, 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 you know, they don't call a whole lot of attention to like the bones and everything, but they're there like in the background. And so he is sent to find... Hannibal Chow, uh, who is your black market, like the head of the black market. Yeah. And uh, he goes into a little shop where he's been, where he's, fa- where he, like his little card has like a little magic symbol on it. And he finds the symbol on the outside of the shop, goes in, he asks for Hannibal Chow. Uh, they lead him into a magical back room, which is this, was this giant Del Toro-esque, like. The shop is actually the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, because you go into this little shop and then behind the wall is. Yeah. It's 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 one of your what's one of your Del Toro esque like giant chambers like you see in his movies like you see like the fetus room in Blade Two, but you know what I mean like it's it's a big room that like, looks cool like the fetus room in Blade Two like uh kind of like the uh like the, one of the shops one of the shops they go into in Hellboy Two, um, the castle shop, yeah 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 like there's just cool stuff around and he sees like these black market dealers like cutting open like different kaiju parts and he's just like fanboying out it's like a, it's like if you go to your first science fiction convention and you see like uh your favorite you saw you see ron and perlman at a table like signing autographs that's how he's that's how he is acting actually i would cry yeah he almost does he's so excited and then we meet hannibal chow mm-hmm. and obviously he's a chinese man right Yeah, obviously totally definitely <laughs> but he's not no. who is our favorite Famous Hannibal Chow. Ron Perlman. Mr. Ron Perlman. He turns around and I knew it going in. You did not know it going no, in. You were taken by surprise. I was delighted. <laughs> My face lit up. Because he does the classic. Like you see him from behind and then he turns around and it's like, oh, there he is. And he's playing his lovable jerk. <laughs> like he is. He sticks a knife up Charlie Day's nose. Not like all the way up. Because <laughs> that would kill him. But he sticks a knife in Charlie Day's nose to threaten him. Um, and uh, and so like he finds out from Charlie Day like what Charlie Day wants. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Day's like, yeah, I drifted with a kaiju. And Hannibal Chow is like, what? Because one thing I like about him is that he's not just a black market dealer. He's, he's smart. smart. Yeah. He knows about these creatures, like biology. And he has his own theories. And uh, why was it a bad idea to drift with a kaiju? Because it goes both ways. What does that even mean? It means the kaiju drifted with him. Right. And unfortunately, Charlie Day is now the target of the kaiju. Yeah. And he knows. And now they know a lot about us. 
Well, they know a lot about him. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he knows a lot about us. Like our, he knows a lot about like the like like the the the, the plans. The somebody tells me he's a huge ACDC fan. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they uh, so he's afraid that the kaiju are going to come after him, and they do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's skipping ahead because the breach reopens. And t- Five kaiju come out. No, two kaiju come out. <laughs> Roman numerals. Oh, I see. I'm holding up two fingers, but it looks like AV. Um, two kaiju come out, and Gypsy Danger is out of the picture because yeah. because Mako had her little uh, incident. So they send three the three remaining robots to fight the mm-hmm. two kaiju. They send uh, they send the Russian one and the Crimson Typhoon and Crimson Typhoon and Cherno Alpha to mm-hmm. fight the two kaiju. What is the Russian one called? Cherno Alpha. Right. Okay. And then they send uh, Striker Eureka, the Australian one, to sort of guard the coast, like keep the kaiju from attacking. Yeah, because they need Striker Eureka to pilot the nuke into the Right, right. right. It's important. So The what is it called? The breach. The breach. So the kaiju are right off the shore, right off Hong Kong, uh, where everyone is because they know where to go. Yeah. And and so there's a fight. I mean, this is this... It's a very short fight. They destroy the Chinese robot pretty quickly, even though it has three arms and they have saws on the end of them and it can spin around on its axis. And one of them spits acid, which was unexpected, at the Russians and takes them out. Yeah. And And the Russians have this like really kind of cute scene where they're like, oh, we're going to die. At least we're dying together or whatever. Yeah. And that's it. Like that's all we see of our friends there, which leaves uh, which leaves the uh, the Australians to fight. But then they're taken out. By an EMP charge. By an EMP charge, which also takes out like all of Hong Kong, um, and that's the kind of it for them. Like they're just dead in the water. Uh, Electromagnetic pulse. Yes, that's what EMP <laughs> means. <laughs> we were trying to figure that out last time. It means electromagnetic pulse. Yeah. And it takes out their robot. And it takes out uh, literally everything else. Everything else. Like it takes out like the inside of of uh, of the base and everything. Like everything's just in darkness. Um, so they're kind of left with no choice but to send out Gypsy Danger Gypsy because Danger. Gypsy Danger isn't powered by electricity. Right. It's a nuclear powered, like we said. Yeah. So it's got its own little like uh, like nuclear reactor inside it to keep it going. Yep. And uh, so they send it out, and one of the kaiju. So there's two kaiju. One gets defeated in the water. I can't remember how it works. Well, one leaves and goes to Hong Kong. Right. And then the other, the other distracts uh, Gypsy Danger. Right. And Gypsy Danger finishes it. Okay. And goes after the other one. Okay. Uh, chases it into Hong Kong, uh, where it suddenly sprouts wings, and flies up in the air. Into with, space. Into space with Gypsy Danger, and this is when we discover Gypsy Danger has a secret. Secret sword. A secret sword, and it is awesome. It and is so cool. So Mako is the co-pilot on this one, or they're co-piloting together. They're drifting together, and they don't have enough time to charge up their weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think that they're dead up in space, and then Mako's like, "Wait, I, there's this new thing that I put into this, to this thing." She pushes a button. It says like "sword activated," and like this giant chain whip comes out. That like, then, like it looks like a bike chain. Yeah, and then it just goes and it's a sword. And, and it's awesome. And it's awesome. It's your. It's a Voltron moment because Voltron always ended with Voltron pulling out the sword and stabbing the giant monster. And that's what happens. They cut them. They cut the monster in half. And then they fall out of space. Fall out of space. They land, but they're safe. They're okay. Okay. So 
it has attacked Hong Kong. It actually came after Charlie Day, who was yeah. hiding underground with a bunch of people. And he climbs out from underground, and there is a dead monster, mm-hmm. which means that he may have access to a brain. Yeah. So there's people inside scavenging already, like pulling it apart, but the brain has been destroyed. Um, he's Both like, of them. Yeah. He's like, oh, man, but there's something going on inside this monster. It's pregnant. Yep. And it's got a baby in and it. And Hannibal Chow's like, well, no. So first, Hannibal Chow has this weird conversation with like the people on the thing. And then Charlie Day just grabs the like radio from him and is like, it's pregnant. Doesn't it like kill the baby, kill the people inside the monster who are like scavenging for parts? Yes. Yeah. Which is, you know, you don't see it, but you're like, what? <laughs> so the baby comes out and strangles itself on its own umbilical cord. Yeah. And Hannibal Chow's like, stupid thing. And he throws his knife into the baby, and then the baby eats him. <laughs> it's a great moment. It's unexpected and delightful to see Hannibal Chow get picked up by this thing and crunched and swallowed. But then who comes? Who do you mean? Other scientists, man. Oh, yeah. So uh, so the, the baby has a brain, and it's yeah. obviously one of the kaiju. And it's obviously the same genetic thing, and it's all connected. So Vern Gorman shows up, and they have a lovely moment together he and charlie day where they're like let's do it let's just i'm gonna drift with you and so because charlie day was almost killed the first time because he drifted alone this time burn gorman's like let's drift i i i, I trust you we can do this and they i drift. don't want you to die i don't want you to die and they drift together and they so the only remaining robots are gypsy danger uh-huh and striker striker yeah so the australians and the americans um we haven't even mentioned the fact that the father and son team who pilot the Australian one, the son hates Riley because he thinks he's a failure. Yeah. So there's always been this, there's been the tension. There was some fisticuffs between the two of them. Oh, and the father's arm is broken. The father's arm got broken in the, uh, in the, in the, in the battle with the Kaiju. So he can't pilot. Yeah. So there's only two, there's only two robots left to fight Kaiju. And there's only three pilots. There's only three pilots. They have to go down to the breach to drop the bomb. But meanwhile, more kaiju are coming out. Mm-hmm. So Riley and Mako are going to take Gypsy Danger. And they're going to fight off the monsters mm-hmm. while Striker Eureka drops the bomb. Drops the bomb. But who's going to co-pilot Striker Eureka? Who's going to drift? I always want to say Carmen Strax, but that's not who it is. That is not who it is. <laughs> it is Stacker Pentecost. Stacker Idris Pentecost. A little bit of background, though. This entire movie, we haven't mentioned this. This entire movie, every once in a while, Stacker Pentecost will wipe a little bit of blood away from his nose, mm-hmm. which is Hollywood for... He has cancer. I'm dying of cancer. That's all you ever see. He wipes a little bit of blood away from his nose. And you're like, oh, bloody nose. He must be dying of also, cancer. Also, his suit is always clean. He has the cleanest, most pristine, crisp suits. He is. He's dying of cancer, and the cancer is from being exposed to radiation from his own... Kaiju. Not kaiju. His own Jaeger. Jaeger like, because the Jaegers were... The original Jaegers were completely unprotected. Yeah. They had to throw them together so fast. Mm-hmm. So he was just exposed to a lot of radiation. Now he's dying of cancer. Uh, slowly of radiation poisoning. Yeah. And so, but he's the only one there who can, who can pilot this, this Jaeger. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is he drift compatible with the Australian boy? I know everything about you already. Yeah. He's like, I'm, you know, I, I know everything about you. I don't, you, there's nothing I can be inside your head. It doesn't matter. Like, and it's 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 a quick hand wave as to like they make a huge deal about finding drift compatible people for pilots. And then he's just like, I'll just do it. And they kind of hand wave away the whole like, well, they like they don't really have a choice at this point. Right. And plus, like, you kind of get the feeling it's just like I'm Idris Elba. Like, I can, I can do anything. Like, why are you even asking me this question? So 
there's a good chance no one's going to survive this encounter. So there's a, a tearful goodbye between the father and son. The son, the Australian son, is always kind of a jerk to his dad, and his dad always, he knows his son's a jerk. But this is like a big heroic thing his son is doing. And there's the dog. Yeah, they have this little bulldog who's very cute and says goodbye. Like, there's more emotion given to him saying goodbye to the dog, but you know that that's like, he can't show that kind of affection to his dad, so he's showing it to the dog, which is very, like, very sweet and very true. Um so they head out to go mm-hmm. drop this bomb and fight these kaiju, these two massive kaiju who come out of the breach. Back to Charlie Day. <laughs> yep. So they have drifted. And what have they discovered? It's not going to work. Why is it going to work? Because you have to be a kaiju to get through to the breach. Yeah. It reads your DNA. Well, first, there's an expertly placed toilet. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? <laughs> so after they get out of drifting with each other, Vern Gorman... Yeah. Is like, oh, I got to throw up. And they're in the middle of this, like, you know, junkyard. Yeah. And there's just this toilet. <laughs> there's this amazingly placed toilet that he runs over to to throw up in. And I love everything about that moment. Like, it says so much about his character that he wouldn't throw up on the ground. He'll throw up on this, like, garbage toilet. That's <laughs> not connected to anything. It's like he can flush it away, but he's just like, nope, got to find the toilet. And he goes and throws up in it. It also saves us having to see someone throw up, which would yeah. be terrible. Like, I would hate that. I hate seeing people throw up in movies. I hate seeing people throw up. In real life. In real life. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so they discover that you can't go through the breach if you're not a kaiju. Or if you don't have kaiju DNA. Yeah. So keep that in mind. But now they've got to tell people about it. And some, so they, they got to get there by running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the robots are going down to the breach to fight these two giant monsters. And... Uh, Meanwhile, Charlie Day and Vern Gorman are trying to get their information to the uh, to the to the people in charge, like to to Mr. Screen Man. Yeah, because if they drop this charge, it's just going to blow up back in our faces, and nothing will change, and the monsters will still come out. So uh, they go down there and they start fighting these kaiju, and it's a great underwater fight. Um, mm. But what happens is <sighs> they have to use one of the nuke to destroy one of the kaiju. Right, it's so big and it's attacking that. Stacker Pentecost and the Australian guy uh, sacrifice themselves to blow up the kaiju. And because these things are more powerful than they even thought they were going to be. These things are getting enormous. And a third kaiju comes out of the breach. And it is the biggest thing they've ever seen in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that's left is Gypsy Danger. And they get this idea in their head. Hey, we're a giant nuke. Why don't we <laughs> throw ourselves into the breach? Right. We can just blow up our suit and that's it like then we'll be good and we'll sacrifice ourselves if we have to but this has to be done we have to close it um but how are they going to get through the breach because we've just found out from the scientists that they can't go down into the breach they're gonna wear a skin suit (laughs) they're gonna kill the kaiju and ride its body down through the breach which is you know kind of a brilliant idea um good thing the breach can't tell living from dead because then they'd be screwed yeah uh, so they do. They fight the kaiju. It's a great fight. They manage to kill it. Um, they grab onto it. They ride it down through the breach. And then we get to the part of the movie, it's right at the end, that I am not happy with for thematic reasons. But uh, what happens? He sends... Mako gets knocked out. Yeah. And he sends her up in an escape pod. Yeah. Back up through the breach. And then he sets off the new... He puts it on a timer. And then he sends himself back up in an escape pod. Mm-hmm. The suit blows up. It's we get to see like the 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 head aliens or whatever for like one second down in the thing like they're like oh oh and then the suit blows up. It bothers me too that the suit 
I thought that this I thought the explosion had to happen in the tunnel. Like that would make the most sense to me. Well, I thought that they had a machine that was creating the breach. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. They blew oh. up the machine and the breach closed. Oh, okay. I thought they were just blowing up the actual tunnel and that would collapse it. Okay, that makes sense. Um so then Mako surfaces in her escape pod. Riley surfaces in his escape pod, but he there's no vital signs. Mako swims over to him. Uh, crying. Crying. She hugs him. He's like, I can't breathe. And you're like, oh, the vital signs were just, the machine was broken. He has vital signs. And then that's the end of the movie. No, then they kiss. They do not kiss. They there's don't no kiss. kiss at the end right. of the movie. There's no kiss. Good. You remember the kiss, but it didn't actually happen. It happens in the novelization, apparently. But not in the... not in the, it would, And it's more powerful that way. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, they both survive the encounter, and the breach is sealed for now. Charlie Day and Bert Gorman kiss, though. They do not kiss. No, they don't kiss on screen, but they kiss off screen. <laughs> Kisses all around. Um, everyone's dead, but everyone's happy. And... Um, the problem I have is that I didn't feel it was necessary to have Mako get knocked out and then sent away before the nuke was set off. I thought it could have easily been her and like she's like he could he could have been like you can go I'll set this off. And she's like no I'm staying with you, you know, we're drift partners. And that they set it off. And then they both escape and the same ending could happen. Yeah. I don't get why they felt she had to be knocked unconscious and saved by him at the end. Rather than just have them both set off the nuke. America's hero complex, my friends. I guess it just has to be that America's hero complex thing. It bothers me because she could have just done it. Like, there's no reason. Like, there's no reason. There's no reason. Other than we wanted him to be the big darn hero at the end. Um, it's the one part of the movie that sits, sits bad with me is seeing him have to play the savior at the end, even though like this whole movie we've established, this is all about teamwork and all about working together. And like, you can't do anything on your own. You have to have a, you have to have people with you. The government knows zero things about this whole operation, by the way. Yeah, apparently like we don't, we don't ever check back in with the world government after this. Like it's just, we assume they're happy. We assume that they... That they're happy about it. Uh, but that's Specific Rim. Like, it ends on a bit of a sour note for me, but... Specific Rim. That's the Specific Rim. Um, so I had, you know, this 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 movie raises a bunch of questions for me. And I had, we you know, we had sort of chatted a little bit about this before, but I want to talk about monsters. Uh, I want to talk about the use of monsters in movies. I want to talk about the use of monsters in Guillermo del Toro movies, specifically, because he's the monster master. I thought you were just going to say the monster man, but you he's, had to make it all weird. He's the monster. He's not the monster man. That makes him sound like he's a monster. Um, but Guillermo del Toro presents two distinct kinds of monsters in his movies. The sympathetic monster, your Hellboys, your Abe Sapiens, your, you know, just your various denizens of the troll market who yeah. are just kind of like people. They're just monstrous and they've got their own deal going on. Mm -hmm. Your sympathetic monsters, your I didn't ask to be this way kind of monsters. Even like, I guess you're like ghosts, like his ghosts and stuff, yeah. which are scary, but they serve a purpose. And then he also has his like, just, I'm a killer animal monster. Mm -hmm. Like his, but your, your kaiju, um, some of the monsters in Hellboy. You're a pale man. Yeah. You're pale man. Like these things that are just there to, there's, there's no, they're irredeemable. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's no reasoning with them. They're just there to be destroyed. There's no nothing to do. And he doesn't seem to have any qualms about separating those two. Like, there's no point. 
uh, except for uh, Charlie Day, like wanting to like dig into their minds. There, there's no one's really trying to understand the kaiju or reason with them or sympathize with them because they didn't come up here and then and like just live peacefully. They came up like and we attacked them. They came up here and killed people. Yeah, but I guess my question then is to say like, why do we like watching movies about people destroying? killing giant monsters like what is our what is our as an audience what's our catharsis well godzilla was created at the height of like the nuclear stuff it's the beginning of the nuclear stuff yeah stuff like that was that monster was based around people's fear of genetic mutations because of nukes well and like specifically like japan had been yeah hit with nuclear bombs like it also was about like it, basically, Godzilla was the threat of nuclear annihilation. Yeah, like, I feel like we watch monster movies because the monsters, although they don't come out and say they represent certain things that are happening, they represent certain things that are happening. Like, movies are based on reality, as fictional as they are. Yeah. And the monsters are representations of our own fears and plights. Without being, like, strictly allegorical. Like mm-hmm. they, like you said, they don't come out and, like, draw that line. Like, the monsters are monsters, but, like, we kind of get... And I like this because this is about people with trauma in their past. Yeah. And when you have trauma, you have a monster. That you have monsters you have to fight every day. Um, be it depression, be it anxiety, be it flashbacks, um, you, you, there's these insurmountable odds. Yeah. Um, these things that come out of the breach and threaten to destroy everything, um, keep you from living your life the way you want to live it. Um, and as cheesy as it can seem, like, I think that this movie, I think that the, the, these monsters, I can't remember who said it. Uh, is it G.K. Chesterton who said it? Who said, uh, some, I'm par- horribly paraphrasing here, but his, his saying was like, fairy tales don't tell children that dragons exist. They teach children that dragons can, can be, be destroyed. Yeah, like they don't teach children dragons exist because children know dragons exist. They teach that dragons can be killed. Yeah. And I love that quote. And I think that's what Pacific Rim is. It's a movie that says you can kill these monsters. You can win. You can win. You can have trauma in your past. You can have terrible things happen to you, um, unfair things, but you can win. Like you, you can defeat these monsters. Um, it's hard. And but what I love about it, what's beautiful about Pacific Rim to me, and the reason the ending doesn't sit well with me, is it's. Del Toro seems to be saying, and uh, and Travis Beecham, obviously, the Beach Man, uh, seems to be saying you cannot do it alone. Like you need this community, you need this, you need you need good people who understand you, like your drift compatible friends and family, but you also need a support system. Mm-hmm. Like no one's this whole operation requires a lot of people. What are your thoughts on that? Like as far as like fighting trauma, fighting. Well, I relate. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard. Yeah. To fight it because it's inside of you. 
So right. have to fight yourself. Um, but you do need people. And it's hard because you want to close yourself off from people. Because you don't want to worry them or you don't think you need them. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's it gets increasingly difficult to connect with people and stay connected with people. You just want to push them away. But in order to overcome what you're going through or to just live with it, you need to have a support system. Mm -hmm. You cannot do it alone. Right. And I think the movie illustrates that repeatedly with every character. Uh, Riley wants to ignore everything. He wants to just lose himself in his work and... Uh, Idris Elba doesn't want to worry his adopted daughter by letting her in on how sick he is. He doesn't want to lose her to this to the trauma that she encountered. Like, cause she encountered this trauma before. He doesn't want her to have to deal with it again. Like, I think it's not even with him. It's not so much as he doesn't want her to get killed by monsters. It's that he doesn't want her to have to confront the thing that traumatized her in the first place. Like, you, that's the thing that that's a parent thing where it's like. My kid went through this once before. I don't want them to have to go through this again. But sometimes it's necessary to let a child make their own decisions. Let a person make their own decisions. She's not, she's not a child, obviously. To let her make her own decisions and fight these monsters yep. up from her past. But even, but also like Charlie Day and Vern Gorman, uh, in their own way, are trying to protect each other. You know, from I, I think Vern Gorman and Charlie Day do it the best in the sense that. They come right out and say, like, I'm not going to make you do this alone. Like, I'm going to I'm going in there with you. Uh, and it's it's these little moments to me, like you can talk about the shell of the plot of this movie, but there's so much going on emotionally with these characters. Uh, what are some of your favorite emotional moments? Well, I like the double drift with the kaiju. That was cute. Mm -hmm. I like when Idris Elba and Mako fight about his sickness. Mm hmm. Because that's just very father-daughter to me. Yeah. Um, I like the relationship between um, well, the Australian son and the dog. Yeah. As kind of a representation of how he actually feels towards his father. Um, I think that just speaks a lot to like if you distance people and still care about them, you're going to express it in other ways. Yeah, yeah. And then the split second of Russia that we get, the split second of the husband and wife realizing they're going to die. Yeah. That's just a beautiful moment to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking about them as a as a couple. Like we don't see many couples in this movie, like established couples and it's not a movie about romance, it's about relationships and I think that I would love to have seen more of the Russian couple just to get to know them a little bit better because they've obviously been through a lot. But uh, yeah, that, that little gem of a moment between them before I, before they both die is just, I think it kind of says it all about them. We don't get to see the, the Chinese triplets. Like we see them playing basketball. Yeah. We get that they're like in sync with one another, but we don't get to see them have an emotional moment together, which I kind of regret. Like I wish we could have seen them like, as brothers, but I mean, there's only so much time in a movie. Um, 
still like i think this is a very i think what saves this from being just a monster fight movie like saves it from being just a just a eye candy even though it is eye candy there's this is a beautiful looking film uh-huh. like the set design the costume designs the sound design everything is just pitch perfect um what saves it from that is the fact that del toro really made these actors work on their relationships and their characters and their physicality and really living within this world um but i think that i think that the way he uses monsters because he loves you can tell he loves monsters mm-hmm. like you obviously he is quote at home with monsters like that is something that he is he surrounds himself with on a, on a day-to-day and i love that he's still able to use these creatures that he has affection for as symbols of something to be defeated as symbols of something he doesn't he doesn't he's not blind to the fact that monsters can still be monsters like forces of pure destruction um but it's funny that i hadn't until we sat and talked today i hadn't really thought about this movie as as a movie about trauma until just now like obviously it is and i knew that trauma played a big part in it but it could purely be a movie about different people overcoming trauma in their lives and just you could just read it that way and it works perfectly for every character um speaking of i was thinking as you were saying that mm-hmm. I was thinking about the ending of the movie yeah and i was seeing it in a different light because obviously riley has severe ptsd from when his brother was killed yeah and maybe he sent mako up because he didn't want to lose I another knew person exactly what you're gonna say <laughs> as you were saying it i was like wait a minute i think you figured this out <laughs> maybe that's what it is because they've all, like, a lot of the characters now have dealt with their full circle. Mako has fought the monsters. Mm. Uh, that one guy, what's his name, the big boss guy, Pentecost, has gotten back in one of the suits and is accepting that he's going to die. Yeah. The son has come full circle with his father. The father is like, I have to let my son go. Mm. He's going to save the world. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, Riley still hadn't dealt with his. And there was only so much he could do to deal with his, but he he knew he had to save Mako. Right, right. He, he couldn't lose someone else. And I love that this movie isn't about letting go of trauma. It's not about it's not about sending it away. Like in a lot of Hollywood movies about trauma, it's like just let it go. Like let it let it be. It's more about fighting it and like defeating it in in different ways or accepting that loss occurs or that things you know like i don't know there's so much there's it's done so well in so many ways um that i would put this on a list of movies to watch about trauma like if you want to see like how hollywood handles that in different ways i would say that pacific rim is a good movie about about not overcoming trauma but but, living with it but living with and living through it and you know this this movie came out in 2013 um it was very much removed from the events of 2000 2001 um September 11th um but you know not to not to like fall into like the cheesy the world was changed but 
the way we represented destruction in film changed a lot after after 2000 after September I can't want to say 2001 which is the movie um after September 11th um not that I would know because uh, you know because that was when you appear fully formed on the planet earth six days after <laughs> yeah. I was born um but you know so not to not to like beat that over the head but it was uh it sort of solidified for us culturally at least in america because i know that many many nations went through things like this but in america it sort of like made us realize that group trauma that social trauma was a thing that had to be worked through and dealt with and i think this is a good movie about a world that has experienced something hugely traumatic and is still exp- and repeatedly experiencing something hugely traumatic mm-hmm. and how a world deals with it uh, and a government deals with it and a people deal with it and a community deals with it. Um, and then that, like, right down to the microscope, how people like individuals cope with it, you know, even like almost even Hannibal Chow, like how did he deal with the trauma of this? He, he turned it into money. We forgot to mention Hannibal Chow's little cameo. Well, his little like, so there's a brief, 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 post credits or mid credit sequence where we see Hannibal Chow. What happens to him? He cuts out of the baby kaiju. Yes, he comes out of the baby kaiju. The entire movie he's wearing these like awesome boots. No, they're just, shoes. They're the shoes. shoes with like metal on the end of them. Uh like they're like these like little like armored shoes. And uh he comes out and that was the only thing that was left of him after he was eaten. And he comes out and he's like where the hell's my shoe? Where the hell's my shoe? And that's like the last the little bit of the movie. He survived. He cuts his way out of the baby kaiju. And it's amazing. And you're like, please be in the sequel. Because there is going to be a sequel. Yeah. It is coming out. Not directed by Guillermo del Toro. No. Um, but uh, it will be coming out. I hope it's as re- resonant as this movie. I don't know if it will be. It'll, it should be fun. It has a lot of the return. A lot of the cast is returning. Um, but I think the del Toro-y aspect of this movie is using monsters in using monsters in a constructive way um like the uh the fairies from um don't be afraid of the dark mm-hmm. they were the ones telling her we'll be your friend we don't we we won't leave you like cause yeah. she was she was just left and she didn't feel like she had anybody right and this is a movie very much about an endeavor a collaborative endeavor which is what del toro is all about uh, collaborative endeavors there's a moment where uh idris elba says like the reason you, he doesn't show any weakness is because he has to be a fixed point for everyone around him and i think of del toro is that way like del toro is this amazing leader creatively he is the fixed point around which an entire movie is born um even though movies are collaborative efforts he is very much a i i am the leader of this project and i have the final say but i will let you create around me and that's kind of what stacker pentecost does he lets people grow around him he lets people fail around him and learn around him but you don't see him changing uh, until he has to at the end uh i think it's del toroi and we get to see a wonderful animal autopsy but from the inside in this case um, there's a lot of goops and guts some beautifully created monsters just some beautiful monsters created by his team um uh including wayne barlow who created barlow's guide to extraterrestrials which you owned a copy of i own you still own i still own a copy of um you'll see some just there's amazing character design amazing costume designs amazing cinematography it's a beautiful film like we said it looks like you're watching an anime at times um the characters are broad but not too broad 
we'll see a lot of this heightened these heightened uh, almost cartoonish human characters mm-hmm. in uh, Crimson Peak. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think this is the movie where he learned that people don't have to. You can have the same extreme of characters that you had in Hellboy without them being anything other than human. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're we're carrying it on. I think that Crimson Peak is kind of the pinnacle. Well, we don't know if it's the pinnacle because we haven't seen his next movie yet. But it's a it's a, it's a it's going to be a wonderful expansion on the notion that human beings themselves can be the can be monstrous but can also be characters that have stepped out of a, a comic book page and still be real mm-hmm. and still have real motivations so pacific rim thumbs up thumbs down big thumbs up, big thumbs up. <laughs> i thought usual. you said crimson peak for a second and crimson, I was like, no, pacific peaks pacific crimsons <laughs> crimson tide pacific rim i think crimson tide is a different movie crimson tide is a very different movie <laughs> <laughs> um i just I enjoy the heck out of this movie i think it's great and i just Fix the ending for you. You just fix the ending for me. Thank you so much, Ollie. <laughs> um, so yes, I think our next movie is actually going to be not uh, Crimson Peak. Well, the next movie wouldn't be Crimson Peak anyways because we have to do the strain. We have to do the strain. We have to cover a lot of his like produced stuff, and we are going to actually cover. It's going to be a special, another bonus, mm-hmm. uh, non Del Toro movie. We are going to be covering Mama, Mama, uh, which I wasn't going to cover, but then I looked into more his producing, and I think. Even though it is not a Del Toro film, it's Del Toro adjacent, and I think it, it is going to cover some of the themes that we like to talk about, which is parenting, which is dark fairy tales, um, which is the notion of humans and versus nature versus the supernatural, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. And it's also supposed to be incredibly scary. So we have that to look forward to. So join us next time for Mama, Mama, Ma'am, Ma'am. You just ruined everything. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you then because I am Phil. And I'm Ollie. And we'll see you next time. When when it's it's Del Toro Toro time. time. Bye. Every time. (laughs) 